0: Hi, and welcome to the Women in Security podcast. Thanks so much for tuning in again to this episode. Um, This time round, I went over to our office in London. Well, this would have been a couple of weeks ago now by the time you hear this podcast, but um, I had such a great time speaking to Eliza May Austin. She's the founder of Ladies of London Hacking Society, and she also recently started her own security company. So we had a great chat about various different aspects of that. I'm down with a cold at the time of recording, so you're going to hear that my voice sounds a little bit different. But nonetheless, I hope you enjoy. So today we have in our studio with us Eliza May Austin. Eliza, welcome. Hi, thanks for having me. So Eliza, for a lot of our listeners around the world, or even in Ireland, they may not be familiar with you, um, I'm sitting in our London office today, recording with you. Can you give us a quick introduction into your background? Um, so, Well, I originally
1: trained in digital forensics at university. Um, very much not an academic person whatsoever, so I quickly realised I needed to go and get work experience in security. Um so I, I sent out 200 CVs that were like joke CVs in my first year of uni. Joke CVs as in okay I would write on there I have got no experience in cybersecurity. However, um I have dimples and <laughs> I'm really funny and just Did like you really write Yeah, that? <laughs> really stupid, really really stupid CV cuz I thought well, it needs to stand out. I had no real like Understanding of how the industry worked, I thought it was really competitive and there'd be loads of people. Anyway, um, a company called ZoneFox Fox got in touch, um, invited me to do an internship there. So while I was at university, I spent um, my summer holidays kind of doing jobs in cybersecurity companies and whatnot. Um, and then it snowballed from there, and I got headhunted to a few different places, and now I own my own business. Um, that security company which is spelled in lead <laughs> so yeah i think if you google that security dot yeah. company you'll find it yeah
0: but, yeah so that yeah that's no me. i i like the way that you've spelt the company name because I, I think it i regret it every time i have to <laughs> sign in somewhere and i have to like
1: <laughs> manually write
0: yeah because people lead. look at you like really
1: <laughs> are you sure <laughs> what does
0: this mean <laughs> yeah 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 but it's such an exciting experience starting your own company. Tell us a little bit more about what made you decide to do that. Um, it is exciting. It's also scary.
1: <laughs> but it's fun, and I'm definitely a creative person, so it suits me. Um, so I got inspired to do this. I set this up with my business partner, Stephen Ridgeway, who used to be my boss's boss uh, in a previous life. Um I just noticed I would work places and we'd get um, third parties in to do some work in security to supplement what we had and what they were selling was bullshit. They'd come in and they'd give us like a really vague report, kind of intentionally so that we'd have to invite them back. Um, I won't say any names. but (laughs) um, Or when I worked on the managed service side, it was almost like, sell at any cost even if it's something that you can't do it was just really like I just really didn't like it I think there's a lot of snake oil being sold sold a lot of sharks in the industry and um, rather than moan about it I'm very much a doer so I wanted to set up my own company um, and that's that's what I did but me and um, my co-worker Stephen Ridgeway that's that's what we did and so far so good we're only like a month old but hey ho.
0: well it's gonna happy well. first month <laughs> Thank you. I, I used to run my own business before I got into recruitment, mm. so I know just you know it, it's completely different when you're working for someone and when you, when you're working for yourself. Yeah, but just the, I suppose the experience that you gain, the fulfillment that you get from there, yeah. is completely different. And I was looking at your website. You, you said that the business itself focuses on providing security operation center services as well as Purple Team. Yeah. So can you briefly describe for people who may not be aware yeah. what security operation centers do and also touch on what Purple Team is? Okay. So
1: um, a security operation center is, is basically the core defense mechanism of a company. So um, let's just take a, an internal SOC the the small acronym there an internal sock for example um you might have a retail company or a medical service provider um and they'll have a group of people that might work shifts 24 hours a day or something like that and they will respond to alerts so you'd set up the the infrastructure to alert and then you'd have people sitting and monitoring those alerts that come through and th- those people coupled with um those tools is the security operations center. So that's what me and Stephen build. So we go into companies that don't have that and then we build that for them um, in the most vendor neutral way that we can. Um, And purple teaming is something that is reserved more for more mature organizations. So organizations that have already got security function um, and it's intelligence led threat emulation. So... Essentially, we do um, intelligence gathering on that company in particular. Um, let's say it's an oil and gas company um, or medical. They've got all different um, different vulnerabilities. They're targeted in different ways by different um, threat actors. We take that into account and we build scenarios around that against their most prized possessions, their crown jewels, their... Um, Business critical units Um, and then we'd sit with the red team and the blue team or we'd bring our own and then we would hash out actually doing that attack implementing that attack so just a really simple example is I might say you say to you that you're 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 the pen tester okay just look through this scenario that we've built look at section 1.a, and I want you to run a scan Here's I've written the command out for you against this machine and I want you to run it against this machine because if this machine was to go down um, The business would die and like the whole world would explode. Okay, slight exaggeration um, So they would run that scan and then the blue team person I would say can you see that on your scene platform? No, I can't okay. Let's work out why so let's stop what we're doing Let's work out why you can't see that put those mitigations in place Um and do it again okay can you see it now yes I can can you do anything about it no okay so let's put that in place so rather than having a pen test that goes on a report that goes on a drive somewhere that no one in the defense side reads ever um, and when they do it, it's vague and they have to decipher what it means they're learning together so the the red team are learning mitigation and remediation and the blue team and incident responders are learning about specific attack methodologies and TTPs that the the red team are using to recreate what, what an advanced persistent threat or a threat actor of some sort would do against that company specifically
0: does that make sense it does yeah okay but, you know for, for me i have been recruiting security for the last five years so i'm very familiar with red team blue team mm-hmm. but i wouldn't say i've seen too many purple team is this something that's very new in the industry or have you seen this around for quite some time now
1: um i've seen people try to do it and i've seen it done badly mm-hmm. um i've never seen anyone um do a really good job of it um set one up before and the hardest thing about it was getting the two teams to work together because mm-hmm. it's so ingrained in the industry that they are opposing forces and mm-hmm. it's not true because mm-hmm. you're working for the same goal right yeah. <laughs> which I just don't sure. if you know if you're um, you know you're a company and you've got a red team and a blue team and you're not helping each other out and sharing knowledge 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 did i just <laughs> invent a <knowledge>. word <laughs> they're not sharing knowledge like what is the point you what what benefit is that giving to the, com- the company and we keep hearing people say in this industry that um security is seen as a money drain because mm-hmm. they don't generate money they just spend it which mm-hmm. is true um they do save money depending on how you look at it but um to get away from that, we need to work together. Surely, um, you know, spend money more wisely instead of siloing and off siloing off every bit. But I think the reason purple teaming is starting to take off and um, even maybe replace pen testing, traditional pen testing in some ways, um, and the reason DevOps and DevSecOps are taking off as well is because people are starting to realize that we have to start communicating better. There is such a lack of communication and overlaps in different areas that it's got to the point now where people are going, okay, let's just stop what we're doing. What are we actually getting out of this? Mm-hmm. And new things are popping up as a result of that. Because, um, I mean, DevSecOps and Purple Teaming, all it really is is doing the job you should have been doing anyway, but right. Yeah.
0: More and communicating securely.
1: more. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, if... If you had to get an advertising team and a marketing team to work together on the project, they would work together on a project. You try and get a blue team and a red team to work together on a project, there's so much ego involved, it's unreal. Like it, it, Honestly, this—it's you only need one person with an ego in the room and it can just ruin the whole project. Um, and the people that have been in those rooms know what I'm talking about. So the listeners that are just thinking, oh yeah, <laughs> she's met that guy too. Um, no, but there are people that um, are genuinely interested in in the opposing side. So um, you know, we have incident responders and blue teamers that want to know more about penetration testing, but they don't want to go into penetration testing. Mm-hmm. And vice versa, there's penetration testers that have a genuine interest in how to patch, mitigate and remediate and that's great
0: mm-hmm. there's
1: nothing wrong with that um i think it's just having a wider knowledge um,
0: and what's your advice for someone who might be a pen tester right now yeah or might be part of the sock who's thinking that's exactly what i've been thinking i want to get to know more about the other side but i just don't have any interest to actually do that job how can they take that first step to take that bridge so i um I would always
1: advise to just go and speak to the other people on, on that team. On So um, if you're in a blue team, go and speak to the red team. Um, have a conversation. Would you mind if you came across this, you told me about it, I'd like to have a look at that. That sounds really interesting and blah, blah, blah. Um, or um, red teamers, if you're writing a report, rather than thinking, I don't know how to remediate this, oh, it's not my job anyway, I'll leave it. Think, actually I'll go and have a conversation with instant response and just say, if I wanted to remediate this, um, can we just work together on just clarifying how I would do that and put that in the report? That basically is the first steps towards purple teaming. And, you know, when you get that kind of conversation working, go to management and say hey can we run a purple team meeting once a month and just catch up with each other and see see where everyone's struggling or how who's doing well like these things aren't hard no decent manager is going to say no to that unless they were just not a decent manager (laughs) so yeah um yeah i think it's quite easy i think if you want to explore other avenues of insecurity and it, you'd be hard pushed to find someone that's going to say no because it's all mm-hmm. it's all relative it's all needed
0: how did you I know at the start of this conversation you said that you know you just sent out a whole bunch of CVs yeah while well, I was a student yeah and you got an internship that's how you got started but did you get started right away within cybersecurity and in incident response and that's why you're doing what you do today or was it a specific instance where you felt that's something that's really interesting. i like to pursue it further. Well, I originally wanted
1: to go and work in the like the NCA or GCHQ or something and then when I saw how much they got paid and how much you get paid not working in government I was just like mm-hmm. fuck that. <laughs> <laughs> <I'm> sorry. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah to be completely honest um yeah so i mean the this the first mini internship I got in the summer for ZoneFox, that was testing out their forensic software and writing white papers about it, um which was great, and they were they were a really new startup at the time, mm-hmm. I think they've sold now for like millions of pounds, wow. and I'm like I was there at the start <laughs> um yeah, um, but I always knew, since getting into security, I always kind of knew that I wanted to be in a technical role. Um, and I always knew I wanted to be on the defense side, but it's not stopped me exploring pen testing. Mm-hmm. I mean, I teach pen testing at the Hacking Society, Ladies and Women Hacking Society. So I've definitely got a dabble in there. Um, and I do it as a kind of a hobby to keep my skills sharp, but I really like instant response. Um but I think for anyone that kind of is wanting to get into... I had a, a conversation with a recruiter this morning, actually, and I think that if anyone wants to get into security but they're nervous or they feel like they can't do it or they're not technical enough or whatever, things like sales, pre-sales and recruitment are excellent places to dip your toe in the water because you'll know mm-hmm. you've got an exposure to a lot of different um, sub-industries within mm-hmm. security. You have knowledge on what those jobs entail and what the requirements are so that knowledge is actually priceless it's brilliant and if you yourself wanted to go into a technical role or you wanted to go into a grc role you know how to navigate getting into that role do you know what i mean and yep. you know like you can go online and get find a free course on Cyberry mm. or edx and and have a crack at it and see mm. if you can do it use your contacts why not mm-hmm. so i was saying to a recruiter this morning if you because they would Desperate for recruiters,
0: we, <laughs> talk, we did be to you to get into. They
1: were like, "No, they were like, um, can you help us find recruiters?" <laughs> I was just like, um, "All the ones I know are really good and really happy where they are." But so no, I'm sorry. Um, but I did advise them to just like reach out to the LLHS network mm-hmm. um, because there's a lot of women in there that um, have been in various roles that aren't to do with cybersecurity and they're wanting to get in. Mm-hmm. But
0: they don't which know is great, how.
1: yeah. And I think recruitment would be a good first step.
0: Mm-hmm. Oh, absolutely. I, I think, you know, in recruitment itself, a lot of people don't see us as part of security, but I was telling you earlier mm. that I see myself as part of the security community more than I'm part of the recruitment community. Yeah. And if I didn't get into security, I wouldn't know that there are this many aspects of security. It's an ecosystem, isn't it? I, I mean, yeah. Um, you know, we need recruiters, we need
1: sales, we need marketing, um, we need cleaners, yeah. we need... Pen testers, and we need CEOs and all this crap we need everyone um, the the challenge is that there's a lack of respect for mm. certain certain parts of that ecosystem um, which isn't nice yeah. and I mean you'll know as a recruiter you can go to some events and people will be intentionally rude to you because mm-hmm. they think you're fair game because you're a recruiter mm-hmm. but as soon as they're out of work they're, they're the nicest yeah. to you. They're so sweet. they so, your best friend. Yeah. Can us go out for coffee? <laughs> Why don't you fuck off? <laughs> I've always hated you. Um, yeah. So, yeah. So, yeah. There's plenty of things that people can do to get in. And it doesn't mean straight away you need to go and be, like, the best, yeah. like, reverse engineer yeah. or something. Yeah. Like, just have a crack at something.
0: There's a quote that I really like. Um, it says, you don't have to be the best to start. But you have to start to be the best. That's so true. Yeah. Um, You mentioned about the Hacking Society. So this is the Ladies of London Hacking Society. You guys are celebrating your first year. Yeah, it's our birthday. Oh, my God. I know. And you founded this Hacking Society, right? Tell us a little bit more about how it all began and what the Hacking Society is all about.
1: So um, it kind of began out of frustration. So... I went to, like, various different events, like, when I first came to London, I'm from Yorkshire originally, um, went to events up north, events down here, and I found that I was the only female, which I didn't, I don't don't really care, Mm -hmm. not an issue, um, normally everyone was lovely, but I found that if I asked a question, um, that was, like, Something that's, I mean, something might have been explained wrong or... Not wrong, but not very well. So I'd ask a question, I'd be like, oh, did you mean this, blah, blah, blah. And it's like, oh my God, how dare you ask a question. Or people were quite... Um... Do you think that was because you're a woman? No, I don't think so. I think that um, a lot of... I'm going to sound really bad here, but I think a lot of the... I'll say mixed meetups, mm. but you mainly like if you're a woman and you go, you tend to be one or one of three or something yeah. females. It's kind of like everyone's got imposter syndrome, so no one dare ask a question. Mm. Does that make sense? It does, so it's yeah. not out of malice, but kind of like you ask a question and it comes across as either, oh my God, she doesn't know anything, or how dare you ask a question. It was very, very strange. And I just thought, this is really odd. I don't like it. Um, I went to another. Meet up and it was a Kubernetes 101, which is like 101 means come and learn the basics, right? So I turned up and only female again, and this guy came over to me and he was like, "Ah, oh, you, you work in Kubernetes? And I was like, No, I don't know anything about it. This is like at the time, I was like, I have no idea. Um, but the company that I'm at is using it. So I thought I'd come and like try and learn something about it. And he was like, oh my God, maybe you should go back to school. And I was like, what a dick. And then another guy came over and we started like proper debating about the fact that I was attending an event that was Kubernetes 101 and I didn't really know what Kubernetes was. And I was just Mm. like, this is bizarre. And I ended up surrounded by a load of guys that were like, trying to humiliate me through asking me questions on kubernetes and i was just like this is so not on so i grabbed a bottle of wine and yep. grabbed a pizza and then i fucked off home <laughs> i was like this is just terrible i hate it um and i thought i'm gonna set up my own meet up where people can ask whatever question they want um and i look back and i was thinking about the types of people that had asked me why i was there or um that was a stupid question that you asked, or, blah, 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 or just made me feel awkward, or followed me home because they fancied me, or something mm-hmm. bonkers. Just, ugh. And I thought, they're all men. So I'm going to set up a women's society, which at the start got a lot of stick. I got a lot of like, that's really sexist. And I was like, yeah, yeah technically it is, but you know what you're going to do? <laughs> um, so, yeah, so that's how it came about originally. Um, but actually, the, the most support that we've had have been from men. Um, so, like Stephen Ridgeway, he was the, our biggest sort of supporter at first. And then Kevin Fielder of Justy, massive supporter of ours. Um, and, you know, like there's, there's been a lot actually, a lot of men that have supported us. And the, the people that have called me out on it and sent me sort of aggressive messages about it have been female. Really? Yeah, shocking, hey? Yeah. It's really weird. That's really Really, really weird. weird. Um, this is really sexist. This is exclusionary, blah, 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 blah. Like, it's, they've been... They've all been female, high-profile females within cybersecurity. That's really odd. And our biggest their biggest supporters, the ones that have really pushed the boat out of all being men, mm-hmm. um, which is fantastic. Mm-hmm. And it shows that that sort of attitude of, like... Um, Male supremacy within cybersecurity is a, genuinely a minority, and they just kind of rot the whole barrel for the rest of all the guys. I think.
0: Oh, absolutely.
1: So, so yeah. So, um, we basically just um, teach penetration testing to educate on how to remediate and mitigate against the attacks that we we're teaching, um, and all of our training platforms are built for us for free um, by Immersive Labs. Mm -hmm. so we've got a really good network of people the community has been absolutely fantastic for us to be honest and
0: it's not just in London
1: no we've just opened one in well not just like at beginning of the year we opened one in Norwich Mm -hmm. um and we've got a chapter leader there and um Tash Hales she's called she's brilliant um we've got Sheffield opening in january and we've got interest in manchester bristol glasgow and newcastle but i know it's crazy (laughs) but we can't actually open them yet because Mm -hmm. of a lack of funding so we are trying to get sponsorship it is coming through it is dripping through which is great um so we can't expand just yet and also me and stephen have just started a business so it's going a bit slow but
0: Baby steps.
1: Baby steps, yeah. Or maybe yeah.
0: a virtual session every now and then to get it started. I'm,
1: yeah, I mean, there's loads that we could do. Um, but we're all volunteers. and yeah. And yeah. I know I'm the only one out of the four of us that manage the, the team that mm-hmm. doesn't have kids. Like, they've all got two mm-hmm. or three kids each. So it's a big commitment time-wise for them. It is. And, yeah. and
0: you're not getting any profit out of it. You said earlier no, nothing. this is always going to be free.
1: Oh, I'm a massive advocate for free education. I think that um, education can empower people to get out of poverty. It can empower people to make their lives better. Um, And I always will advise people to go down the free route. Um, So NLHS is always going to be free. Um, Because I think if one woman can't come along because she has to pay £10... Mm-hmm. say I mean it's not much mm-hmm. but if one woman wanted to come along and she wanted to learn and she wanted to change her life and she can't afford that I'm doing it wrong um and that's not fair so I'd rather the burden of the cost fall on the companies that are getting something from LHS by recruiting from us or um promoting themselves as diversity um advocates um and so far so good like the companies that we've that have worked with us they've been amazing um, in, in doing that they've been absolutely fantastic and I, I couldn't have asked for a better response to be honest
0: and what does a typical session because it runs once a month yeah if someone were to attend let's say someone from UK they were to attend it what can they expect from each session
1: okay so it's on the last Thursday of every month and we start at 6 o'clock and these sessions are at a different location every single month. So we Mm -hmm. go to a different like HQ of a Mm -hmm. company. Um, The first half an hour, people are just sort of dripping in after work and help themselves to a drink and some food and have a chat and, you know, see friends and whatnot. Um, And then whichever sponsor we have, they get 20 minutes talk time so they can talk about whatever they want. Um, So for example, at Just Eat, the CISO spoke about the opportunities they had open. Um, Digital Shadows, they spoke about what they do mm-hmm. um, and did sort of a pre-sales pitch. Mm-hmm. Excellent way to use that 20 minutes. Um, and then um, we have a little bit of a break and then we'll have a bit of a like a 15-minute lecture on the theme of that month. So we follow the cyber kill chain. Okay. So let's say um, this, this month we're on weaponization what is weaponization, Um, where does it come in an attack process, Um, how do I defend against it, blah, blah, blah. And then we go on and we do a practical lab. Um, So we do a hacking challenge um, that's centered around that theme. So, for example, the last weaponization one we did, um, everyone built a weaponized PDF um, in... I think it's social engineering tool toolkit we use. I'm not sure which one we use. We use so many tools. Um, yeah, and they they successfully cr- created an exploit mm-hmm. and delivered an exploit. And it's guided. So me or someone else will plug in on a big screen and yeah. do it slowly, step by step, talking through every single thing we're doing. And you follow along if you want to. Mm-hmm. If you're intimidated, you can just sit and watch and absorb information. So, Yeah. I mean, it's laid back, and then everyone goes to the pub and gets absolutely smashed.
0: <laughs> <laughs> that's the end goal.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's why most people come. I'm sure of it.
0: But have you, you know, what's been the biggest takeaway since in the last twelve months? Because it's, I mean, firstly, why well do to you for keeping it going for oh twelve God, months. It's, it's really not just hard. me. Like,
1: there's a team of four of us, mm-hmm. um, and oh, we've just taken on another person actually, Dida Galecki. So there's five of us now. Um, and one's moving away. Um, yeah, so it's not just me keeping it going. Like, if it went for them, I wouldn't be able to do it.
0: Well done to the rest of the team. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> yeah. Sorry. What was the question? No. Um, so I was saying, what was the biggest takeaway in the last twelve months since Kay. running Hacking Society?
1: Um, oh, the best, the biggest and best thing about it is seeing women that come along and they've got zero confidence Mm -hmm. and then a few months later they've got a job Mm -hmm. and you're just like wow so we've got um literally about 20 percent have got zero experience and they don't even work in a related industry um We've got around another 30 percent that work in related industry. Maybe they're recruiters, marketing, sales, mm-hmm. whatever. And then the rest are experienced, mm-hmm. so they tend to help out with the the newer people. Um, and we also have C-level people that turn up as well because it's a good mixer for them. Okay. And they can find potentially find candidates, mm-hmm. and they don't have to like jump from any hoops. They can just have organic conversations. Mm-hmm. Um, so. The biggest takeaway is, for example, we had a a woman that came in Christmas and she was in a completely different industry, had no experience whatsoever, but she was just like, I really want to learn this, I think it's cool. Uh, do you mind if I come along? I don't know what I'm doing. We were like, yeah, of course, just come along. And um, that was at Christmas. And she's now just got a job as a junior pen tester.
0: No, way. yeah. So there's wow.
1: evidence that it's working. Yeah. Like they are getting skills. They're getting things that they can take home for free, mm-hmm. thanks to immersive labs, um, and they can do continuous study and. It's working. It's, we're proving that it, that having an environment where people can ask questions, even the so-called stupid questions and have no judgment, that that is that works, that helps people develop, it helps people mature their skills. Um, we have a saying, and I say it every single month, and I probably annoy people because I literally get on stage and say it every single month, that there's no such thing as a stupid question because stupid people don't question anything. Um, And i I genuinely believe that. Um, we get questions that are like way above my head and I think I don't have a fucking clue. I don't know what that is. Like (laughs) Does anyone know? Um so it works good in that way that if I don't know the answer, there's someone there that will know. And then on the other hand, we get questions like, uh, you mentioned the word CISO, what's one of those? Do you know what I mean? So like there's there's like such a disparity between like what people are asking Mm -hmm. but they're all sort of learning together even Mm -hmm. though they're at different levels which is amazing Mm -hmm. and i'm really proud of that i really like that.
0: yeah i mean it's a really good environment because you know usually i would think well if you have a room with people of such varying levels it may not be the most productive but in such a scenario like what you just mentioned to me if it's someone new it's really a good chance for them to ask anything because if you don't ask you're never going to know Exactly. And for people who are in the business who've been in the industry, it's also a good chance for them to just get a real sense of where the market is right now. Yeah, exactly.
1: You're right. You're right. And and I do think that if, you know, if you've got a woman that's a junior and she's sat in the same room with someone that's at the head of technical something mm-hmm. somewhere and she gets inspired by that woman, she sees that yes I'm an acorn but there's a great oak inside every acorn everyone's got potential and when those people connect and have these conversations that's really powerful and you know that's a mentor possibly for that person we did actually try to run a mentorship scheme but um, it kind of didn't take off because I mean it did but for some people but the majority of women tend to ask permission for everything Whereas men go out and grab opportunities. I think that's systemic in society across the globe because of like the way that women are treated differently in a lot of different environments. But so we found the mentorship thing was quite hard and we were having to spoon feed that. So we kind of stopped it. Mm -hmm. Um... And people have organically developed their own mentorship relationships, but um, mentee mentorship relationships. But yeah, I think rather than, um, I mean, I don't want men to stop doing that. I think that's great. I think the fact that men will go out and grab opportunities with both hands is fucking fantastic. But I wish women would do the same. And it's kind of like smashing your head against a brick wall saying, you don't have to ask permission for this go and ask this person out for a coffee and ask ask them for their advice on something. Don't go over and say, can you be my mentor? Because it just sounds a bit do you know what I mean? Yeah. It's a little bit babyish. If you sit
0: and wait, nothing's ever going to happen. No. You know, it's better to ask for forgiveness than permission, <laughs> if that's something, you know. But it's just coffee at the end of the day. And everyone who's in the industry knows how difficult it is to hire people. Yeah. But if there's someone who's interested in getting into the field, even if it's just a coffee to find out more about the industry, yeah, I don't know of a single person who would say no.
1: No, I don't. And we have Slack as well. So we have a huge Slack space. And um, there's a mentorship channel on there. And we say, just drop a message in there, see if someone responds. Drop a message in general chat, see if someone responds or message someone direct. The worst thing they can do is ignore you. Mm -hmm.
0: There's no loss anyway.
1: Yeah. So like, I'm, I'm like, I really get sick of people asking permission. Mm. Do you mind? Blah blah blah. It's like they're not. Yes, they're senior. They're not your boss though. They're at the same meetup as you. You're sat Mm -hmm. having a conversation.
0: Change the way you're asking. Can we meet up at this? Yeah. Do you mind? If not, when
1: else? Yeah. Like have you just treat them like anyone else? They're not your boss yet. Mm
0: not yet (laughs) yeah I really like the example that you gave about the lady who joined you guys in December yeah and she got a junior pentester job around now that's only six to seven months yeah and she's not the only one that's just like
1: the one that just kind of popped into my head there's loads there's a
0: woman that's gone
1: from marketing to the sock in her own company like not her own company but in her company internally um and she never thought she'd be able to but We were just kind of like, go and ask, Mm -hmm. we'll give you a reference. Um, And then she did, and they were like, yeah, okay. And She she just didn't believe that they'd say yeah, and they did. So it's great.
0: Do you think a lot of it comes down to confidence? Because I get a lot of junior candidates or even um, graduates in Mm. security asking me, do you have any roles? But I don't really recruit for junior roles. So for me, a lot of times my advice to them is get involved with the local community. Get involved with any kind of security meetups, events that's happening because that's the best way for you to learn about the industry Mm. but also to network with the people you know and and it's only through that that you know if security is for you if you have an interest because some people might think oh security is really interesting but it's just because that's the buzzword they Mm. might go in and they think oh that's really boring you save yourself two three years yeah you know yeah um what's your advice to someone who's at that level thinking men or women who are thinking about getting into security but they just have no idea how
1: So I think your advice is actually spot on. Um, If you look at the big expos and the big conferences, right, and then you look at what's going on at the ground level, at the meetups and things you'll find on Eventbrite and stuff, um, there's a huge disparity there. So a lot of technical people, interesting people, people that are in senior level jobs but they're really interested in the industry and interested in meeting new people they will go to the meetups the people in suits that don't really understand what's going on um or are in sales will go to the big conferences so um don't spend money on big conferences that's a waste especially at an early stage in your career definitely a waste get on meetup it's free it's free eventbrite it's free google cybersecurity, hacking penetration testing cyber defense Um, and just find what meetups are in your area and just turn up and a lot of people think i'm not going to go to that because i won't know what's going on well you're never going to know what's going on if you don't turn up Mm -hmm. and learn it right um also get on things like edx.com cyberary.it in udemy.com and udacity and do um do some free courses get the certificate at the end of it create a linkedin profile and put those things on your linkedin profile because yeah they're not industry standard certifications but they show that you are a self-motivated person they show progressive learning and they demonstrate that you class yourself as a lifelong learner and they are the things that really push you forward in this industry there's a lot of um showboating there's a lot of speaking about how great i am at this how great i am at that i'm an expert in this expert in that um but really like what have you got to show for that if you can turn up for a job interview and say yeah i don't have any sanda certifications i don't have um any comptia certifications i've done these things um i think i can do the job why don't we just go for the interview i've got a lot of respect for someone that would do that that's what i would recommend i went to university i wouldn't recommend it Um,
0: I didn't go to university.
1: No, it's a lot of debt for a lot of -of out-of-date knowledge, Mm -hmm. to be completely honest.
0: And really, some of the best security people don't have a lot of certifications that the employers are asking for anyway. Yeah. It's really, what have you done outside of school, outside of work, that shows your interest? I don't... When I I recruit, I don't really look at someone who has other certifications. That tells me, okay, you've done other requirements, but... What else? Where's your interest? How's your attitude? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Exactly. So, um,
1: Annabelle Berry, who is the CEO of Sapphire, um, told me something that I thought was really, really interesting. Um, That she likes to ask questions in interviews like, did you work during university? Like if you went to university, did you work during university? What kind of job did you have? Mm-hmm. Um, how old were you when you had your first job? So, learning about someone's work ethic and their mm. attitude towards, um, like, being driven, basically, and, and work. Um, like, she found that she finds that quite important. Um, I'd rather ask questions like that, um, and then some technical questions rather than sift through a CV and think, oh, they don't meet what I want. And at the end of the day, it's a wish list, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And you don't... Nobody meets someone's wish list.
0: No. And if they do, that person's not going to stay in that job. Yeah, yeah. Why would they? Yeah,
1: exactly. So, I mean, I don't know. I think, as well, there's a lot of... um, oh, you've got no certifications in this tool or you've got no experience with this seam tool or whatever, blah, 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 blah. And then that's an issue. And you just think, yeah, but if someone understands the wider concept, if someone understands um, seam architecture, for example, and and, um, log aggregation and how to search regex and Boolean and whatnot, if they understand those things, Who gives a shit what tool they use? If you force your staff force to learn specific tools and um, get certifications in specific tools, you're kind of shooting yourself in the foot. Because as soon as that tool goes down, they don't know how to cope. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. And I I think as well, if you're sort of in an entry-level job and you're at a company that has a really stringent attitude towards we use this tool and nothing else and you can't do this and you can't do that and you can't explore this area and no you can't go and get in this meeting about this particular attack because yes it's interesting but you're not allowed to know about that blah 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 blah, blah. i think that's um unless you're working in government i think that's a red flag that you could quickly become de-skilled um and i think companies are getting kind of attuned to that as well Mm-hmm. Realizing that they have to be providing interesting work
0: and training, upscaling. Yeah, it's not yeah. just about coming in to do the work because I think I feel sometimes employers are afraid that if we give them all the training, they're just gonna go. But if you don't invest in your people, they're gonna go anyway. Exactly. Mm. You know if and so often i've heard candidates who are talking to me they're like i'm really happy in my job my company's giving me all the training i'm not going to go anywhere because yeah you know i really like it here not just the work that i'm doing but the way that they value us as an employee
1: you spend a huge majority of your time at work yeah you have to be happy like it has work now has to become part of a bigger ecosystem in terms of society thinking, how can we improve people's lives at work for us? And I don't mean that in like a hippie way. Mm-hmm. I mean it in not that there's anything wrong with hippies. I like incense sticks as much as the next person. But um <laughs> I love candles as well. But um what I mean by that is acknowledging that you have a huge impact on someone's life and if they're having a bad time at work, that can lead to um, people leaving the industry it can lead to mental health problems it can lead to all kinds of crap so creating a nice environment creating a good culture and making people feel valued and not de-skilled it, I don't think it's that hard and it is really important and yes it costs a little bit of money but it costs money to go and replace people so
0: and be nice earlier you mentioned about imposter syndrome you okay. know being in such a male dominated industry do you feel that or have you ever felt that you've had to work a lot harder? Or do you sometimes still feel the imposter syndrome?
1: I I don't know if I have imposter syndrome. I get told a lot that I do. My business partner always tells me I have imposter syndrome. I don't know if I do or if I actually am an imposter. I right? have <laughs> no <laughs> idea. Like I think that's the nature of imposter syndrome. Right? Mm. But um I mean I don't know. I've had, I've I've never really had, in terms of being in a workplace, I've not really had any really bad experiences in terms of feeling like I have to outwork all the men, otherwise I'm not going to get any respect. Like, I don't feel like that at all. Um, I've always ha- had great experiences. Mm. Um, I think imposter syndrome is sort of synonymous with the industry because of how... You think, like, say there's 2,000 tools, right? Security tools on the market. And you could go to five different companies in a space of 10 years, and they would all have completely different tool sets. And you're expected to know those. And you might work in one company that has 100 tools, and you're expected to know those. But then, security tools, I mean. But then... There's HR tools and then there's accounting tools and there's recruitment tools. There's all these different tools that, if something happens to them and they're not secure, that comes under the security team as well. So they have to know how to use those. So there's constantly everything to know. You could be pulled into a meeting at any time and someone can say, blah, 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 what's this mean? And if you don't know, that can look really bad or you feel like it could look really bad. So there's constantly this need to evolve. There's constantly this need to learn new things all the time. Um, technology is progressive. You know, you can patch something one day and the next day someone's found a way around it. So you've got to go and research how to mitigate that. So there's, it's constantly evolving. There's constantly stuff to learn. You have to be a lifelong learner. And unfortunately, a part of that is imposter syndrome because no one's ever gonna feel good enough you're never gonna feel like you're ready like if you're thinking i'll just learn this one last bit i'll just learn this i'll just finish this course and then i'll do it and then i'll do it you're never gonna do it it's never a right time to get into security um and once you're in security there's never that there's never that light bulb moment where you go ah i've mastered this Mm -hmm. never
0: happens because it changes so fast
1: yeah and there's people that go, I'm an expert in this and I'm amazing. Ah. You, everyone just thinks, oh, fuck off. Like, yeah. No one likes you. <laughs> yeah, so it's very rare that you can request those people, but you do. Yeah. yeah.
0: No, but that, that's, I really like what you said there because it's, you know, it's so important for people out there to know everyone who's in the industry, no matter how long they've been in there, mm. they do still feel that. So you're okay if you're new to the industry or you've been in for a few years now, but you just feel the imposter syndrome. A lot of people do. And it's normal. I mean, I feel
1: like someone's going to just like tap me on the shoulder and go, we found you out. Mm. You need to go back to being a waitress. Like, Mm. (laughs) I feel like that every day. Mm -hmm. Um, And my business partner, Stephen, he is in his 50s. He's been doing this he's been in this industry for like two decades right and he really knows his stuff i can put something in front of him that i have no clue about i've googled it to shit no one in the world has a clue about it and he's like little link done mm-hmm. i've worked it out and i just think god i hate you like <laughs> i'm so jealous but then he will feel like he's got imposter syndrome And I'm just like, how? Like, How is that possible? I have no idea. But, and it's, I think it's just, you know, people are self-deprecating. I think that's quite a British thing as well to be a self-deprecating person. Um, And I just think it comes with the industry. Someone called Stu Hurst, actually, who works at Just Eat, he did a really good talk on this. Mm -hmm. Um, I think it was the beginning of the year, well, last year. Um, And he was kind of saying, um, I can't remember what he said exactly, but... He showed this big, massive um, screen filled with all these different logos of all these different tools that on any given CV we're expected to be experts in.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: How is that possible? Yeah. It's not. You, 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 need, to, you need to understand the, the concepts. You need to understand networking and protocols. Um, and I think once you've got that grasp, you'll be, you'll be fine. Um, the best... The best security professionals I've ever met have all had a previous life as um, just IT help desk person, Mm -hmm. sysadmins, programmers, and um, just infrastructure people. And then they've just thought, oh, I'll just get into security, see what it's like. And they thrive, and they're amazing. And it's because they've got all the knowledge of the wider concepts, not just bolt-on knowledge of security based tooling mm-hmm. so that's I think that proves the point really
0: important to also note that there are people out there who didn't come from infrastructure since that I mean different type of background getting into security there are different fields but today we're focused on the technical side of it yeah. um is there any sort of interesting story just to sort of finish off the podcast any interesting story that you'd like to share with our listeners on your journey so far in security or anything that you're excited about in the next 12 months oh god I'm so excited about so much
1: (laughs) (laughs) so I'm really excited about starting this business um well I've started it but going you know seeing where this business goes um but also LLHS and expanding that and um I'm I'm just really I'm interested to see where that goes. Mm-hmm. Like genuinely, even if I had nothing to do with it and I was just observing it, I'd be interested to see where that goes because there's a lot of people that come to me and say, oh, I know that you're doing LHS how can I make my company appeal more to women? Mm. Like we would really need some women on our team, blah, blah, blah. And I'm just like, I have no idea. Like I didn't even know that this many women in London were interested in security. We've got like 700 and something, nearly 800 people. Wow. In, yeah. And um, that's just
0: in the span of 12 months. Yeah.
1: And that's just in one city. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, I have no idea what's happening at the moment. And I'm really excited to genuinely see where that goes. Um. So, um, yeah, so I'm interested to see where that goes. Um, I'm interested to see when we pop up new chapters, how big they get. I've not got that much to say on that. That's
0: fine. I'm <laughs> oh, sorry. Thank you so much for spending time with us today. It's been a pleasure to have you here. Thanks for having me. <laughs> Thank you for tuning in to this episode of the Women in Security podcast brought to you by Morgan McKinley. I hope you enjoyed listening to it. My name is and Tan and we'll chat soon.